Mondego. Being your friend is always an adventure. <laughs> yes, it is, isn't it? Make love to me. Will you ever give up? Hey! I missed you so. The missing is over now. May this happy moment have a long and wonderful life for you both. Edmund Dantes, you're under arrest by order of the Magistrate of Marseille. I demand an explanation! Why are you doing this? It's complicated. Where are you taking me? From now on, your home is a prison chateau deep. No! I've been a prisoner in Chateau Deep for 11 years. You spoke of escape. What do you want to buy? Revenge. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a great honor that I present the Count of Monte Cristo. Do you know him? Stop this plan. Take what you have won. I can't. In return for your help, I offer something priceless. You're no more a count than I am a commoner! Edmund! Why did you not come to me? Why did you not wait? I got goosebumps just watching that that preview right there. Like I got I, 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 that is Count of Monte Cristo is in the top three of of, of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, watching that 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 preview right there got me goosebumps. I, I watched it again this past week. It is awesome. Uh, so by the way, my name is Sean. Uh, I'm, I'm the lead pastor of Grace Church, and I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, we're now in two locations, both in, in Avon and in Braintree. Uh, in, in both locations, raise your hand if you have seen the movie Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, raise your hand if you have seen it. All right, let me ask it the other way. Uh, raise your hand if you have not seen Count of Monte Cristo. Okay, and if your hand didn't go up either way, you're already asleep and there's nothing I can do for you. I'm, I'm sorry if I've lost you already. It's not going to get any better. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it's a fabulous movie. Uh, I, I hope you go out and, and rent it this week. Watch it on uh, uh, Amazon Prime or, or whatever way that you, you, you watch movies. It's, 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 a fantastic, it's a fantastic movie. Like I said, it's in my top, top three. Uh, absolutely love it. So here's what we're doing in this series uh, called At the Movies. We are replacing the gospel of Jesus with the truths of Hollywood. That's what we're doing. And we're preaching. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that at all. We're not doing that at all. What Jesus did was, is when Jesus wanted to highlight or to illustrate a biblical truth, Jesus would pull things uh, out of the culture that were commonly known and familiar to, to illustrate or to highlight the point that he was trying to teach. He would say, uh, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He would say, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant uh, 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 of pearls who finds a pearl of great price buried in a field who then goes and sells everything that he has so that he's got the cash uh, to purchase that, that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a city set on a hill. Does this make sense? He would, he would pull things out of culture that people were familiar with and said, just like this, 
happens. Uh, it, 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 it happens because of this, and, and that's what Jesus does. So what we're doing with this series called At the Movies is instead of using an extra illustration out of our own personal lives, which we uh, do almost every single weekend at Grace Church, and this weekend will be no difference. There's a couple of illustrations I do want to bring up uh, that, that I've experienced that kind of highlight the biblical truths we're going to be looking at today. What we're doing is that we're supplementing those illustrations, those highlights, uh, with clips from movies that you may or may not have seen. That, that's all we're doing. So uh, the passages of Scripture drive the truths, uh, and then we pull illustrations from culture just like Jesus did to illustrate those truths. Does that make sense? Uh, so that's, that's what we're doing. And one of the things I appreciate most about the Bible is that it's a narrative. It's, it's a collection of stories. Not, not make-believe stories, but it's a historical narrative of the life of actual people who really did live in specific places at specific times in human history. And each one of these stories that are in the Bible of these actual people that lived in history, their lives were going in one direction until God intercepted them and then gave them a chance to repent, to turn from the darkness that was in them to begin following God by faith with the rest of their lives. And so there's a lot of stories in the Bible where people chose when God intersected their life not to turn from the evil that was in them. Some of them blamed the evil that was around them for, 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 for not rejecting the evil that was in them. And then there's other stories in the Bible where people were, they were humbled uh, by what God had done uh, to grab their attention. And it changed the trajectory of their entire lives uh, uh, when they chose to turn from their own sin, their own disobedience towards God and selfishness towards others to begin following after the ways of Jesus. And in each one of those stories, we find the elements that are very similar to, to our own. And, 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 and I love that. Stories are easier to remember. And truthfully, if the entire Bible was just one long list of do's and don'ts and principles of right and wrong, I don't know how many of us would have ever read it. I don't know if we'd still be talking about it now, but most of those do's and don'ts and principles of right or wrong are couched in the middle of actual stories of people who are learning this for the very first time. Even the Ten Commandments are not just given to us as these are the rules that everybody who follows God must, must follow. The story of the Ten Commandments, the, the Ten Commandments, when we read it for the first time in Exodus chapter 20, it is in the middle of a story of, of, of submission and rebellion against a higher power, against God as their higher. He knew them as God. The people were rejecting them and and there's a lot of drama in this. So even when we get the list of the top 10 things that we are or are not supposed to do, we get that in the middle of, of a story. Another thing I appreciate about the Bible is that it doesn't gloss over the ugly parts, right? It's, it's, I'm like, even the heroes of the Bible are severely flawed people. King David, who's one of the biggest heroes of the entire Bible, uh, in, in, the, in the Greek scriptures, in the Christian New Testament, it's said of David that he was a man after God's own heart. So if this guy's going to be this hero, if, if, first of all, if he was make-believe, they wouldn't have put stuff, and he was going to be the hero, they wouldn't put in there that he had murdered his best friend because he got his best friend's wife knocked up. You see what I'm saying? That he was a liar, that he was a selfish jerk, that he struggled with depression. But all of that is in there. 
So the Bible's got a lot of good because there is a lot of good that happens in life. And it's got a lot of bad because there's a lot of bad that happens in life. And it's got a lot of ugly because there's a lot of things that happen in life that are really ugly. I would bet that everybody here has had something very bad happen to them at some point in their life. And if you haven't, then you just haven't yet. Right? I'm wondering, and don't raise your hand on this, but I wonder how many of us have been betrayed by a friend. Like in that movie clip, I wonder. I wonder how many of us have been lied to. Have had people that were close to us steal from us. I wonder how many of us have been cheated on by a spouse. I wonder how many of us have been faced with unbelievably tem tem unbelievable temptation and cheated on a spouse. I wonder how many of us have lost a job, have been fired from a job. Anybody? Or is that just me? You don't have to raise your hand. I already told you. I'm just saying, I'm not going to tell you which ones of these I'm guilty of and which ones I'm not because it ain't none of your stink of business. <laughs> right? But like all of us are going to get sucker punched in the mouth by life at some point in life. And most of the time, it catches us off guard. And speaking from personal experience, I don't respond very well. I'm not prepared for it. it I, I didn't see it coming. It makes me angry. It fills me with pain, hate, anger, regret, and then I deal with that, those emotions in, in an unhealthy and often unbiblical way. So the teaching today is going to address how to handle that opportunity in life that you're going to have to severely compromise your values. What do you do? How do you respond when you're betrayed by a loved one? When you're lied about and then you're fired and they get away with it. Because all of us are going to have something bad happen to us at some point and there's a healthy way to respond to that and there's an unhealthy way to respond to that. So what we're going to do right now, I, I've got a story uh, about me, me, that's none of your business. And so I'm, this is the story I'm going to replace with a, a clip in the movie about Edmund Dantes. That's the main guy. Uh, did you see, like, Jesus is Monte Cristo? Did you notice that? Uh, I know he's not Jesus. He played Jesus in, in, in uh, the, that Gibbons guy. Uh, 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 yeah, Passion of the Christ. Uh, he played Jesus in the Passion of the Christ. So when people see him, it's like, oh, my word, Jesus is Count of Monte Cristo. Um, that's kind of like what we think. But, but he's the main guy. His name is Edmund Dantes. And he's, he's the hero of the story. And he's innocent. He's a little bit naive. And he's a do-gooder. Um, and and there, there's others in his life. Uh, his, his best friend is, is jealous of him. And uh, all the good things that he has. Now, he, he was raised in poverty and... And, and, and his friend is fabulously wealthy, but doesn't appreciate anything he has. And he's jealous of the idea that this guy has so little, but seems to be so happy. And what he ends up doing, uh, his, his, the, the, the main guy, Edmund Dantes, uh, 
finds himself on an island with, with Napoleon, and I'm, I'm, I'm only giving away the front of the movie, not, not the end, but at the front of the movie, uh, he, he meets Napoleon, who's in exile from France, who gives him a note to take back to France, and uh, he says, I don't know if I should do that, and he says, no, I, I promise you that the contents of this letter are innocent, it's just a note from a friend to an old friend, that's all it is, but he can't read and write, he doesn't know that it's a treasonous letter, but his best friend had read the letter and then had used that to set him up to be arrested and thrown in prison so that the best friend could get his fiance. Like this is like, like this is betrayal of a biblical proportion, right? I'm like, this almost sounds like King David's story a little bit. Now he's been arrested, he stood in front of the magistrate, and the magistrate determines that he's innocent until he mentions the name of the friend of Napoleon. And the friend is the magistrate's father. So after he declares him innocent, he has him arrested and then condemned to spend the rest of his life in the Chateau d'If where he's going to be tortured for the rest of his life until he dies. And the scene that we're looking at right now is right after he finds out, like he gets in this like paddy wagon, like this like jail buggy, right? And, and still thinks that he's about to like go home. And it isn't until the, the soldiers, or the French word is gendarmes, uh, I'm probably still not saying that right. Um, uh, you know, when he gets out of the carriage, they grab his arms and they start walking him to the boat where he's gonna be taken to the ship and then sent to the Chateau D forever. And he said, I'm so, I thought I'm supposed to be going home. And they said, you're home from now on is the Chateau Deef. And then he, he, he punches a couple of guys, he steals a horse, and he goes to his best friend's house, the guy who betrayed him, and that's where we're at in this clip right now. He lied. It was to one of his agents. Somehow the authorities found out. I don't, I don't know what to do. There's gendarmes on horseback right behind me. All right. You just have to think. I hope I haven't compromised you. I was hoping your father could help me. He's in Paris. He's very ill. How far back are the gendarmes? Minutes. Do you need money? Yes, thank you. Do you have a pistol? Of course not. Good. Stop it for now. I don't have time for this. I saw Napoleon give you that letter. It was you? Well, it wasn't just me. It was Donglar's idea. Why didn't you come to me first? Well, why did you keep it a secret from me? I thought you were my friend. I told you I gave Napoleon my word. He lied to me. I know, Edmond. I read the letter. Why are you doing this?
I hate him so bad. Like, I cannot even watch, like, even watching it now, I'm like, and, and And, like, okay, so Edmund Dantes gets sucker punched by life and did absolutely nothing to deserve it, right? And he does not respond well at all. And he goes after his revenge. And the sinful part of me fully enjoys every bit of it. Every, <laughs> Wow, every bit of it. What I, what I love about the movie and what it appeals to is my desire to get back at people who hurt me, but I'm powerless to do so. Like, I don't, I don't inherit, like, this crazy amount of money where I could, like, buy all the revenge I want, like the Count of Monte Cristo. Like, the Count of Monte Cristo is the story of you and me if we were hurt really bad in life, and then we were given the unlimited authority and power to get back at everybody who'd hurt us. You know the amount of damage we would cause in people's lives. I, I, I know, actually, because I, I've seen the movie, right? And then there's... I don't want to get to the end of the movie. It's, it's straight up legit. It's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic movie. But the truth is, when you get sucker punched in life, there's not a lot you can do about it. There's not. And when we try, most often, we make things worse. And I can only think of three people in the entire Bible that were sucker punched by life and handled it well. I can only think of three. I got, I got a list of guys that didn't, and I don't have the time to go through them. I can think of three guys had major things bad happen in their life, and they responded like a stinking champ. The first one is Job, who in one day loses every one of his children, has all of his cattle and sheep stolen, and all of his crops burned in a fire. And one day loses everything. And there, there's an entire book of the Bible dedicated to the way that stinking ninja responded to that junk. The other guy I know is Joseph, who was sold into slavery to human traffickers who, by the way, were third cousins to him by his own brothers. Who then tries to make the most out of it. And then the slave guy owner who buys him on the auction block has a wife who invites him into her boudoir. <laughs> Since we're doing French stuff, right? And then he says... After having enough reason to say, I've already been abandoned by God, look where I'm at. I must, right? He says, how can I sin against God and against your husband? And says, no. She's humiliated. 
She accuses him of rape, and when it goes to trial, who are they going to believe? The wife of the military general or the slave? It's his word versus hers. He's convicted of rape and goes to prison for the rest of his life. You can read the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 to the end of the book to see how he responded. He gets to the very end and he says this beautiful thing that I'm constantly reminding myself of. He says to his brothers who then finally, Joseph ends up becoming the prime minister of all of Egypt and he has the power of life and death over them. And when their father dies, who they thought he was being nice to them for his sake, once he dies, they're terrified. And they come before Joseph because they're summoned and they, they think he's going to kill them. And Joseph says this, what you intended for evil, God used for good. Beautiful. And the third guy is the guy we're looking at now. And his name is Daniel. If you've got your Bible, go to the book of Daniel. It's in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures. And to set it up for you, here's what's happened. We've talked about the history of the Jewish nation before, how they were constantly turning from God during prosperity. So God would allow them to fall into harm's way because it's often not until we hit rock bottom before God gets our attention, can I get an amen? Are you with me? So truthfully, the worst thing to ever happen to you might not actually be the worst thing that ever happens to you. That, over the course of your life, might end up being the best thing because that's what it took to grab your attention. Well, that cycle happens, and then once they repent of their sin, God delivers them from their oppressors until in their prosperity, they ignore God again, turn back to sin, think that it's all about themselves, and then God allows their neighbors to oppress them again. It grabs their attention. They repent. The cycle repeats for about 600 years until God's done with it. And then he allows the Babylonian Empire and King Nebuchadnezzar specifically to come into Israel, lay siege to Jerusalem and conquer it, and made the king pay tribute, who didn't want to do it anymore after three years. So he rebelled against the authority of Nebuchadnezzar, who then came back in year seven uh, of, of his reign over them, or the fall of, of Israel, uh, of Judah actually, and then, and, then, and then kills that king, sets up another puppet king, who then rebels, and then he exiles that guy, sets up another king. And then there are two different periods uh, uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's reign where all of the healthy people from Israel are kidnapped, taken into slavery, and then brought back to, to Babylon, and they're 18 years apart. About 40 years later, the Persian Empire throws, uh, overthrows the Babylonians, and, and there's, there's a, then, then the, the, the new king, Cyrus, the king of Persia, allows the Jews that the Babylonians had kidnapped to go back home. The first group of Jews to go back to Israel to rebuild their nation, the story of that is in the book of Ezra. Then 14 years later, there's a second group of Jews that go back. That book of the Bible is called Nehemiah. And it was, it's in Ezra chapter 8, where Ezra is giving a list of the people who go back with him. And this is, this is way later. Like, this is, like, this is like, like 60 years after Nebuchadnezzar had taken over the, uh, Israel. And Ezra chapter 8, I believe it's verse 2, mentions the priest, Daniel, who goes home with all of them. Isn't that awesome? Then in chapter 20... 
Ezra is talking about the wickedness of Israel and said, referring to like the story of Lot, how God would have saved Sodom and Gomorrah if he could have found even five righteous people. And he's talking about how wicked Israel had gotten. They had gotten just like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he says that even if Job, Noah, and Daniel were all alive in Israel at the same time, God would not have spared them, although he may have spared them, uh, the nation, but he might have spared them because of their righteousness. And then in chapter 28, Ezra's writing to the king of Tyre, and he says, what? Are you as wise as, and as honorable as Daniel? So Daniel, in his own lifetime, had become a legend of wisdom, honesty, like, 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 like character, and, and like righteousness in his own lifetime. But he didn't get that way by accident. What I want us to do with the time that we have left is to show you four intentional things that Daniel did that you and I don't do. That maybe if we started doing, we would position ourselves under the authority of God for that next time when life sucker punches us, it doesn't knock us out. Are you with me? Daniel chapter 1. Go in your Bible, Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 3, where it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, this is the king of Babylon, to bring to the, and this is at the very beginning, he's like 15 at this point. It's estimated that he was about 15 years old when, when Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Israel and took the first group of hostages uh, back, back to, to Babylon. Uh, Ashpenaz is his chief of staff. He, he tells him to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So was Daniel a royal or was he a noble? Turns out Daniel's a royal. He's a descendant, a direct descendant of King David. Keep going. There's another passage of scripture that talks about that. We're not going to look that up now. Verse 4, select only the strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said, and make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they were to enter into the royal service in whatever role or job that they had been trained and prepared for. Verse 6, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen all from the tribe of Judah. And these four guys were, were like, I was going to say, they were homeboys. These four guys rolled together. These four guys, thick as thieves. These four dudes had each other's back. You see them like in the context of the same things throughout the rest of the book of Daniel. You'll see stuff about them independently and then together. But they, 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 the four of these guys were in horrible situations and, and had each other's back. They had no doubt watched their parents murdered in front of them. And then after everybody fighting age is murdered, then all of the kids that are still impressionable were then brought into Babylon and raised to be Babylonians so that they would forget 
whatever heritage of whatever nation they had come from. It was actually a really brilliant strategy that the Babylonians had. They wouldn't, they wouldn't, when they conquered a new nation, they would absorb its people and culture rather than trying to wipe them out. And that's what they were trying to do with these guys. And so the first thing, by the way, I, I want to point out that they did that you and I don't do. The number one thing that they did is they committed themselves to each other before God. That's the first thing they did that you don't do. They refused to live their faith in isolation. They included other people into their personal lives. I'm not saying they had the kind of relationship where they would go out to Chili's or whatever after, after, after work. What I'm saying is that these guys had the kind of relationship where they could be open and honest with each other and check each other's business. That's what you and I reject. What I don't want is for you to ask me how my marriage is doing. But what I do need is somebody asking me how my marriage is doing. Does this make sense? I need somebody who knows me, like, like knows me. They're familiar with my junk, even if they don't have the details of all of that baggage. They know my weak spots. I need that guy who's going to ask me, is there anybody in your life that you've continued to remain angry toward? Are you giving Garrett, Lauren, and Ryan the appropriate amount of attention? How much time are you spending at work every week? When was the last time that you and Billy Jane went out to dinner without the kids? How are you doing with the internet? Right? Have you exposed yourself to any sexually alluring material? Have you been handling your finances with integrity? Because unchecked, I can go to some really dark places. How about you? I don't need Satan to ruin my life. I am 100% capable of doing that all on my own. That's the truth. That's what I know I'm capable of doing. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12 says that one person can be defeated easily. Two people can stand back to back and conquer. But a triple, three people, he says a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So my first question is this. What close friend do you have who's a follower of Jesus that you've given access to your personal life? Who's checking on you? Who do you talk to on a regular basis? Do you see what I'm saying? Because if you don't know who those two or three people are, this next sucker punch you're going to get is going to knock you on. Here's the thing. You know what my friends do for me? They help me see the sucker punch coming. That's what my friends do. They're asking me the kind of questions that's forcing me to focus on the things in my life that I'm let slip in. And truthfully, it's in those areas that I let slide where I'm most likely to be sucker punched. And because they know that, they lean on me in those areas. So here's what I want you to do with your communication card. I want you to turn it over and I want you to write down these four things that Daniel did. Number one is this. He found another follower of God. And they committed themselves to each other before him. 
That's number one. He committed himself to somebody else before God to be held accountable. You need to do the same thing. Keep reading in this passage of Scripture. Number seven, verse seven, the chief of staff renamed each of these Babylon, with Babylonian names. Daniel gets renamed Belteshazzar. Hananiah is, re, uh, is called Shadrach. Mishael is called Meshach. Azariah becomes Abednego. Now, I don't know why we do this, but I was raised in, in like kids' church and Sunday school. Like I was raised in a Christian church. And so Daniel keeps his Jewish name, but for whatever reason, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and, and Azrael, as Azrael, Azariah, uh, they're all known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you guys know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Can you raise your hand? Both? Okay. Right? Uh, Daniel, though, doesn't go by Belteshazzar. Like, we always call him what? What do we call him? We call him Daniel. But the other three guys are like, nah, we're not going to call you by your Jewish names. Uh, it's easier to say they babble. I don't, I don't know why we do that. But they're all given, they're, they're given new names. They're brought into this Babylonian culture. Verse 8. I love this, and this brings me to the second thing that he did. Daniel determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given him by the king. And, and it was, it honestly, then you go on to find out that it's all four of them that this guy, uh, Ashpenaz, begins to watch when they go on their special diet. But he determined beforehand what he would do so that he wouldn't be caught off guard when the temptation or opportunity to do the wrong thing presented itself. What I'm saying is that he planned ahead of time to respond to the actions of others so that he wouldn't react to the action of others. If you wait until you're making out with your girlfriend in the basement of her parents' home, this is not going to go well, and you will go farther, faster than you want to go. Because you did not prepare ahead of time to respond appropriately to a situation that very easily and probably did come up. You get what I'm saying? What this looked like in the life of my daughter when she began to drive, and I'm thinking of an actual, for instance is that Lauren came in to the living room and Billy Jane and I are watching TV. Lauren's my daughter, by the way. And Lauren said when, you know, she'd just been learning to drive and she's got different friends who don't share her faith. And she says, I've been invited to this party and I really want to go, but... And then she said, I think that they're going to do this and this. And she said, what should I do? That is wisdom. Now, she ain't always done that. I'm just saying. <laughs> I got other stories, but she won't let me tell those. Right? And <laughs> there's other stories about me. But what she was doing was, she was consciously considering the temptations she knew she would be susceptible to. And she was planning ahead so that when that punch came, she knew how to duck under it. Does that make sense? And that's what you and I don't do. See, the one way to guarantee you'll never divorce is that you and your wife plan ahead of time that neither one of you will ever utter the words out of your mouth. 
In a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating year 27, and I'm going to give you the secret to staying married for a long time. You don't leave. Y'all ain't writing that down. Write that down. That was the secret. You think there's more to it than that? No. I promise you, you're going to hate each other sometimes. You're going to be convinced you married the wrong person sometimes. The only way you make it past that is you don't leave. That is it. That's the only, but you got to prepare ahead of time because in those moments, everything in you wants to get the heck out of Dodge. Everything in you. And there's some of us, and that happened. And we can't go back and undo things, but dang it, we can learn from the punches we got in the past so we can duck under it the next time. Yes or no? Because if we don't, listen, you sucker punched me once, that's on you. You sucker punched me twice, who's the moron? Are you with me? All right. Third thing I see from these guys is actually in another passage of Scripture. And by the way, Jesus had to do that. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame of the cross right here. Jesus had to pre-plan and consider what would happen if he did the right thing on the other side of the thing he didn't want to go through. It was because he had pre-planned on celebrating the awesomeness of ducking under the punch, not bailing when he knew he'd want to bail, that he had the ability to hang in there even when he didn't want to. So when he said, let this cup pass from me in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was, he was going to start being tortured to death that night and he knew it was coming, the Bible says before he was even arrested, he had said, nevertheless, not my will be done but yours. He pre-planned to respond well so that he wouldn't react poorly. Third thing I see is in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, I'm going to start reading in verse 16 where it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar. And by the way, these four guys are hanging tight. They're ducking under all of these punches. I mean, like, like life is like, it, or, or, you know, they're just straight up getting knocked by him, but they ain't falling down. And it's like driving everybody around them crazy with jealousy, uh, just like Fernand Mondego. He couldn't, he couldn't stand that this other guy was doing so well. And just like, just like in that movie, and, and, and the, the, those around Daniel and the three, Danny and the three amigos um, uh, couldn't stand them and were trying to find ways. So they, they talked the king into building a statue that everybody would have to bow down and pray to. And the statue was made in the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And, and if they didn't worship it, then the punishment was that they were going to be burned alive. So the king loves these guys because they're stuck. Like, they got great character and integrity. They're sharp. They, they work hard. They got, they got they're, they're legit awesome guys. And the king gives them multiple chances. Just please bow down to this stupid statue. And here's their response to it. They said, O king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you if we are thrown into the blazing furnace. The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Verse 18. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. They said, I know for a fact 
God can preserve me from this. But even if he doesn't, I will not lay down. If this kills me, I will not compromise. If I get fired, I ain't going to lie. I ain't going to do it. Whatever happens, happens. But what won't happen is me bailing on God. That's what won't happen. Right, fellas? <laughs> fellas? <laughs> Can you imagine that would have been absolutely horrible? That's one of the reasons why they were able to do it. Because they were hey, like, I got your back, I got your back. You got my back? <laughs> yeah. That's why they were able to do it. Number three thing, they yielded themselves fully to God regardless of the consequences. You and I make our decisions based in fear of what will happen. Don't we? We do it all the time. Well, what if I lose my job? What if I can't pay my bills? What if, what if they break up with me? What if, they, what if they don't like it? What if, what if, and then we're going to do whatever gives us the path of least resistance. Because our default setting is selfishness and truthfully, we all got a little yellow streak. We're all a little cowardly. A little. In certain circumstances, when there's somebody whose opinion we really, 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 really want or need. Are you with me? They were in that spot. And they said, if we lose everything, I'd rather go down in flames. I'd rather go down in flames than lay down and live. No way. I will not lay down. They stood up. God ended up protecting them. The fourth thing that he did, Daniel chapter 6. This is a specific story about Daniel. Doesn't include the other three guys. And they were looking for a way to get him in trouble. Like they had tried to get the other three guys in trouble. In Daniel chapter 6 verse 4 it says, Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. And while this isn't one of the points, one of the four things that I think we should do, because I'm just now thinking of it, they handled their business, their work with integrity. They didn't cut corners. That they didn't do that. They didn't fudge their hours. They didn't lie on their sales report. They didn't plagiarize for their homework. No matter how much checking up people did on them, they couldn't find dirt. They made choices that other people wouldn't make, so they got results other people didn't get. Are you with me? Nobody gets an above-average life who doesn't have to make above-average choices to get there. You want to get what everybody else gets? Then do what everybody else does. You want something different? Then do something different. And that's a bonus. That's like a 3.5. Verse uh, 5. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We're all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, minus the four guys, 
that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, every time they appealed to his pride, and that worked every time. That's crazy. Uh, your majesty will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down. What's the next two words? As usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. The dude could have at least shut the windows and got away with it. He could have. But with the windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. And then he had to face the consequences. So the fourth thing that he did that most of us don't do is that he scheduled cat habits that would keep him on track. He scheduled habits that would keep him on track. What habits do you have? Habits. Regular things that you do every day to keep you on the straight and narrow. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says that Jesus rose up early in the morning before daylight to pray. That was his habit. Every morning he'd get up a little bit before the disciples. Because if he didn't, they'd be bugging him all day long and he would get spiritually undisciplined and lazy. What's your habit? For my habit... I've got, I've got the Bible app on my phone, and I've got those reading plans where you could read through the entire Bible in like six months or a year, and I've got it on the six-month setting, and, and to do that, to read through the entire Bible in a year, you know, you know what it takes? It takes me turning on the Bluetooth of my radio connected to my phone and hitting play on my phone just when I drive to work and drive home from work. I read through the entire Bible every six months. That's no like noble thing on my part. What else would I be doing? Cussing in traffic. You already know that. All right. That's my, that's my, that's that's my that's my skeleton I will share with you. Right? Is that like 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 traffic is is my that's 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 my demon. But but I just that's my habit. When I'm in the car, the Bible's on. And just by doing that, I get through the entire... What's your habit? What's your, what's your habit? My wife's habit is to read a psalm and then to write down her prayer to God based on that psalm. What's your habit? Because if you can't think of a habit, I know why you keep getting knocked on your butt. Because you ain't doing what he's doing. So we ain't getting what he got. And who can fix that? Who right now is poking you in your heart to fix this? God. But if you don't change what you do when you leave here, you won't get anything different from what happens after you do. What can you do? Four things. Number one is this. They committed themselves to each other and to God. Write this down. Find two or three friends. Two or th just two or three. One or two. One. Start with one. I mean, our, that's one of the benefits of life group is that you're in, you're in 
an environment where you can meet other people that you're cool with, and our hope is that over the course of a semester or two, you're going to find one other person that you're cool with to meet with once a month. Two? Two? He determined ahead of time what he would do if he was tempted to do the wrong thing. It'd be like a dating guy saying, I'm not going to go into her ba- I'm not going into her house if her parents aren't there. It's like my daughter saying, the moment anybody underage drinks even one can or bottle, I'm going to come home. That's what it looks like. It looks like I will not take somebody from work home after work of the opposite sex without anybody else in the car. Those, that's what it looks like. Number three, it's a conscious choice to yield yourself to God regardless of the circumstances. Are you confident that if the worst thing happened, it wouldn't be the worst thing? And number four, what habit do you not have but should have to keep you going straight? Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for these awesome, I'm thankful for the bad examples all throughout the Bible because truthfully I have more in common with them. But I'm thankful for the good examples because of what I can learn from them. God in heaven, please convict me when I sin. Help me to smell it coming. Help me to open myself up to somebody else, God, who can help me stay straight. God, please bless my marriage. Bless my relationship with my kids. Keep me sensitive to the sin that keeps popping up in my own heart so that I can wipe it off my shoe and get back in the game again. God, every one of us is going to get sucker punched. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus that it not knock us down. But God, we got a part to play in that. Give us the discipline, the courage, and the drive to do what your scriptures told us he did, Daniel did, so that it wouldn't knock him on his butt either. That's our prayer. We ask this in the name of Jesus, and we all say together, amen. Thank you guys for being here.